We're reading from James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Good evening. I hope you enjoyed your afternoon. It was a nice one. It's been a beautiful day today, as Harold said, in all regards. Last week, Anthony introduced the importance of our being able to receive things from God. It is learning to receive things from God. Someone once said, your life is a gift from God. What you do with it is your gift to Him. I think that that's a good statement. I think that's a true statement. As long as we understand <clears throat> that what we give to God is a gift to Him, just like what we receive from Him is a gift to Him. Uh, and, and we don't think that we can somehow earn these graces or pay God back for His gifts. Or worse yet, spurn His gifts without some consequence. In the parable of Luke 8 that Anthony preached from last week, Jesus tells of a sower, that is a farmer with seed, who went out to sow seed in the field. And the parable in Luke 8 says that the seed fell upon four different types of soils. And he describes the seed in chapter 8, verse 11, as the Word of God, and the soils as the receptivity of human hearts, or human hearts. The seed in good soil, he said, ultimately will produce a crop in time, through patience. The crop will come. And that crop is the fruit of the Spirit, essentially, in Galatians 5. What we read there about love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the crop that Jesus is talking about being produced from the Word of God being received receptively in human hearts. It gets in there through one of two ways, essentially, through the eyes or through the ears, right? But it's got to make its way down and convict the, the inward soul of a man. And oftentimes it gets in, Jesus said, and, and, and men dwell on it and they contemplate and they, they respond to a degree, but sometimes it doesn't work its way all the way down into the heart. When the Lord says seed, being the Word of God, what He means is the story of a Savior and His love for man and how He demonstrated it through taking on the form of a man and willingly laying down His life for man in our stead, bearing in His body our sins upon the tree. He also means, though, the story of a Lord, a King, a mighty God. 
a holy and sovereign Lord, having all authority in heaven and on earth, who is appointed to return for judgment against sin and to gather His elect ones for heaven. And so Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, this Jesus, God has made both Lord and Savior. This seed, this gospel, packs a powerful punch. I think we witnessed that this morning. It produces good fruit, which we enjoy throughout eternity. But it can't grow on cement. It can't grow on hard surfaces. And as you know, many plants in the plant kingdom can root down through some pretty hard stuff. Some of them can live that way. If you've ever been anywhere, like in the caves or cliffs, old man's cave, you'll see trees growing out and the roots going down through the rock. Well, there's some dirt in there somewhere, but still they're pretty durable. But when Jesus said that that the seed is this powerful, but it, it can't grow on cement, it can't grow on that hard ground in the parable that was the lane, essentially, that they walked on the path. Paul planted the seed in Felix, reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Or let's say he reasoned with him about the gospel of Jesus, righteousness, self-control, the life in Christ that is lived because of the gospel, and the judgment to come, accountability to the Lord Jesus. And it made this Roman governor tremble It made him tremble. I was trembling this morning, were you? I literally did not stop until 3 o'clock this afternoon. (laughs) But this governor did not let it take root. And he said, I'll call for you at another convenient time. But when Peter planted it in a Roman centurion's heart, Cornelius and all his household believed and obeyed the Lord. Two Roman mighty men. One who did not let it take root. One who did let it take root. Very different outcomes. It's a powerful seed. But it has to have soil. And the first thing that we're going to propose to you tonight, after this review of the introduction to receiving the things of God, the first thing that we need to believe and receive is God's forgiveness. And there's a little more to it, perhaps, than what might first come to mind. You might say, well, I've done this, I guess I could mentally check out now. Don't do that, because it produces a crop in you if you truly have received it. And I want you to be careful to listen closely throughout so you can make sure that you've received this gift of God truly in your heart and and are not deceiving yourself, as the Bible so frequently warns us of. Don't 
Be deceived, but don't deceive yourself. You can do that. There's a fruit that's produced when you receive the forgiveness of God. But let's first talk about receiving it, because sometimes we don't, frankly, know how to receive a gift. God has made Himself known to man and has made His will very clear. In Romans chapter 1, after Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That seed that packs the punch, there it is. It is the dunamis of God, the dynamite of God. We translate the word into English. The power of God into salvation. In it, he says, is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. For the wrath of God, he says, is revealed. Think about that for a second. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be made known of God is made known in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We have to recognize, first of all, that there is a holy and righteous God who is ruler of the universe before we'll think about receiving something from Him. We have to understand who He is and make sure that He is in His rightful place. He has revealed that to us through His Word. His wrath has been revealed, as we learned about this weekend, to man through the flood of Noah. And that account has been recorded for us to consider, lest we think that God is slack concerning what He says about Himself. But He says He will again reveal Himself against all unrighteousness of men in the future. But what we have from Him is adequate for us to know His eternal power and Godhead. And that is when we look out the windows, when we look at the marvel at the human body, when we see the cosmos, we should be in awe of the power of God. And when He says, I'm a righteous God, and I demand righteous living from my creatures that I've put on the earth, I need to understand that He's a righteous God. And secondly, I need to understand my place in regard to Him. Before I'll receive anything, mind you, I'm putting this in this context. Before I'll listen and accept any gift from God, I need to understand now that I need something from Him. As Brad pointed out so well this morning, God is righteous, we are not. And I'll tell you one of the things that made me tremble this morning was thinking of the illustration that he gave that if you could put every one of your thoughts on a reel of film 
and you're going to show it up here on this screen before everybody, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to tackle the person going to start the film, or you're going to run and you're never going to show your face again. I thought, oh my, who is there in here too besides myself that would, would like to show that film? That was a great illustration. To me, that really sunk in. Because I've had people say to me, personally, literally, I've never killed anybody. I've never. And they throw out a few big sins. I've cheated on my spouse. I've never done all these things. What is God, why does He threaten His wrath against man? We need to understand His holiness. We need to understand our filthiness. Because Jesus said that we are indeed evil in nature by our choice to sin. God created us to walk in good works. God created children not in sin. God created children in purity, and there's a point in time where we allow sin to lead us away from God in unrighteousness. And we need God. And God said, there's really nothing you're going to do to pay me back for this. There's really nothing that I'm, I want you to do to try to earn it. You just need to accept a gift. I'm going to offer you a gift. And we need to realize the goodness of this gift. I was motivated also today by hell. Were you? The illustration of lifting the lid on hell and giving us 10 seconds to look, smell, listen. We shouldn't need that. But it was humbling and sobering. I'm motivated by that, but I want to tell you that that fear, which can be healthy in the form of guilt that turns me toward God for forgiveness, that fear, though, is not intended by God to be the permanent motivator in our lives. For Paul said in the next chapter in Romans, and if you're there, you can look at it with me. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things as were listed above, and doing the same, that you'll escape the judgment of God? But now listen. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Will you spurn these gifts, these promises, this perfect word for your life? Will you spurn these things, not knowing that this goodness leads you to repent? Hell is a motivator to repentance. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Suddenly, surprisingly, and without hope. In Luke 13, 3. But here he says, Paul says, it's the goodness of God that gives me the direction to turn to God to resolve the problem and to become the person God wants me to be. And I think that's the big difference between being motivated by hell and motivated by heaven. 
between being motivated by Satan having a grip on me and being motivated by God having a grip on me. And that is that we are to be recreated in repentance into the image of His dear Son. We're to become His likeness. We're to become His glory. We are to get back to who we were intended to be when He made us. Just dwelling on hell may compel me to look into the commands of God and to do them. But I believe it leaves us incomplete in that it doesn't teach me the ways of Christ. Grace does that. And so these two work together, but grace more permanently. We need to understand that this gift from God is a gift of forgiveness that we just cannot earn. We need to just learn to accept the gift. The wages of sin is death. You earn that. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't earn that. You receive that. We need to just learn to accept a gift. Have you ever been given... Uh, offered something and said, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Anthony talked about that last week. No, I I, I can't do that. And sometimes we just need to say, thank you. I appreciate it. Somebody wants to pay for your meal. Thank you. That's hard. But thank you because they want to bless you and they'll be blessed for such a thing as doing some good deed to you. We need to learn to just accept those gifts of grace. And God is offering us this. What are you going to say to Him? No, I don't need it. No, you don't have to do that for me. Yes, I do. I love you. No. Don't go to the trouble. I already did. Well, I'm not ready. Just receive the gift. Lay aside the pride of achieving things. Look at James chapter 1 in this. In James chapter 1, verses 18 through 22, I like how he says this, and I've, I've never really looked at this in this light. I'm always looking at the, the, the surrounding verses. <clears throat> but he says in James 1.18, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, not with pride, as in, I'm going to bring myself forth. Lord, don't bother with it. I got it. Of His own will, He brings us forth. His choice, His power, His salvation. Just receive it with meekness. Implanted like the seed in the parable of the sower in Luke 8. Which is able to save your soul. When you receive forgiveness... 
You reap a crop for yourself, eternal life. You get the fullness of the, of the harvest of God, the inheritance. You share in it. You actually share in that, that bounty. Do you not know that the riches of God lead you to salvation? Romans 2, 4, we just read, right? The riches of God. What does a farmer do? Well, today it might be a little different. Roll with me for a minute because the farmers today may take in their crop, sell it off to market, and then later go and buy seed and go plant. These farmers kept back part of their produce as their own seed for the following year. Okay? A little different, same principle. You've got to keep some to get the next crop, and then you disperse it to get it. He enjoys the first fruits for himself, though, doesn't he? The hardworking farmer, Paul told Timothy, is the first to enjoy his crops. We enjoy what we get. I'm glad to be a Christian. I'm glad to be saved. I revel in that. Now what? That seed that's been planted in you, that's produced a crop in you, take some of that seed and go out into a field and begin to broadcast it. That's where that term came from in our media. Did you know that? Broadcasting? It's the same idea. It's a biblical term. I wish they were broadcasting the seed only today. But that's the word. We need to go out and broadcast it. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if I am, James, angry at someone, are you saying that I'm not going to be able to produce the righteousness of God in myself? That's what I'm saying. You haven't received the seed if you are wrathful. Are you saying that, that someone else will not be able to produce the righteousness of God if, if I myself do not receive that implanted seed to my salvation? That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus said when he taught the prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And there were some essentials in there, right? Glorifying God, asking for your daily bread, deliver me from temptation. And forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive others their trespasses. Close of example. And then he hones in on that one part and says, for if you do not forgive those who trespass against you, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. But if you forgive men their trespasses, so your Father in heaven will forgive your trespasses. He wanted to highlight that part right there. And all these things roll in together into this parable he taught of a debtor. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 and read with me this parable. And put yourself in this parable and see where maybe you come out. Maybe you'll come out as the first debtor. Maybe you'll come out as the second debtor. That is for you to determine, but there is a lesson here in Matthew 18, beginning in 21, that Peter 
directly received when he asked, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Thought that was pretty good, didn't he? I mean, that's a lot. And Jesus said to him, I say to you, up to, not up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, he said, is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he, when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, well, that's important, not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow. I think there's probably more than one debtor in prison in the world. But do you know this is directed to those who have received, quote-unquote, forgiveness from the Master. This man received the forgiveness of his debt. The Christian receives that when his debt is paid for on the cross of Christ. And when he repents and turns to the Lord, as two did this morning, the Lord said, I will forgive you. I'll wash away your sins. Your debt is forgiven. You may go free. For he who has died, Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 7, in the grave of water, for he who has died to himself has been freed from sin. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? I believe that that is the key to receiving with meekness the implanted word which is able to save you and assuring your salvation throughout your life. That is, by your willingness to turn to your fellow servants 
Those in the church first. Not just those wicked people out in the world. This is a kingdom parable. And to forgive them and have pity on them for trespassing against you, for being indebted to you, for hurting you. And forgiving it. Otherwise, you know what it would look like when we're all together or not together? It would look like some of these buildings in downtown that as the twilight comes, the lights start to shut off on these skyscrapers. There might be a few left on all night, every night. Anytime you go by downtown, there's lights on some of those. But not like at 5 o'clock in December. They're all lit up still. People are there working. But pretty soon, when you shut the light off on somebody, when you say, you know, that person crossed the line. They trespassed. They crossed the line. I can't forgive that. People just don't understand how that hurt. I don't want to let go of that to teach them a lesson. Whatever reasonings there are, you shut the light off and there's darkness there. And if two people do it, it's a little dimmer. And if you get half the church doing it where we're biting and devouring one another, there's darkness here. And where there's darkness, there is no God, for He is light. He departs when the light's shut down. When you receive that word truly in conviction, to use the word of the day or the weekend, when you're convicted that I really was saved from the wrath of Almighty God against me, and someone trespasses against you, you should when you've truly received the Word, when you've truly received forgiveness, be able to turn and say, you could use a little bit too, couldn't you? That's how I felt. Instead of, you don't know how I feel. That's probably how I felt when I was trespassing against my fellow man, when I was trespassing against my God, and I realized I needed Him to forgive me and I've been saved. You need that, don't you? I offer that to you. That is the true mark of having received with meekness the implanted word of forgiveness in your heart. There is no room for bitterness in that kind of soil. Two can't coexist. And that's not to mention, how would you how would you remain married? very long if you didn't learn to do that? How would you have any relationships if you didn't learn to do this? See, we do that with people if we think it might cost us. We do it more freely than if we just give it for free because of the love of God that's been shown us. Paul said in Ephesians 4, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And Jesus said, you need to pray for that strength. You need to pray for that wisdom. You need to pray for that sensitivity toward others that they need it. They need what you have if you've been hurt by them. But if you say, I can't forgive, then you probably haven't understood what you think you've been given. We've got to cultivate the soil before we receive the Word of God. We need to cultivate it. As we receive it, we need to cultivate it. As you're hearing the Gospel preached, you need to cultivate your heart, constantly turning it over, letting that seed sink in and take root. You need to get rid of the rocks. Chuck them out. Rocks have names in my heart. They're inscribed with certain things. I say, I know what rocks are. I'm, I'm trying. Some are pretty heavy. I can get them out of there. I can get them out of there and you can help. There are weeds that are soaking up the nutrients and soaking up the rain that is coming in from the Lord in a good way, that is, to nourish my soul. There are weeds need to be pulled by all of us. But every time the seed is planted in good soil, it produces the fruit of the Spirit. Every time. Same produce, and it's good. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, godliness, brotherly kindness. I love it. Cultivate the soil of your heart and receive the Word and forgive your brothers and sisters so that we can have light in this place. Let's stand and sing this song. If we can help you in any way, let us know.